Welcome to The Cutting Floor on the River's Edge Church Podcast, where each week we explore sermon topics that don't make it to the pulpit on Sunday. We hope that you will find this beneficial, and as always, encourage you to like and follow. Welcome back to The Cutting Floor. Um, this is episode three, and I am Ross Grawl, pastor and church planner at River's Edge Church, and with me is Mark Wood. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Matthew 21 this week and some of the things that were left on the cutting floor as we prepared for the sermon. Um, so as we jump into this, this is essentially Jesus and the victorious entry um, into Jerusalem. And so Mark's got some things he's going to ask me and we'll do our best to answer those things. Yes, yes. Uh, good message on Sunday. I appreciate that. And I, I can see what you mean by there's a lot of stuff that we left on the cutting floor. You left on the cutting floor. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the importance of the location of the villages and the gates in Jerusalem, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, I spent a lot of time, I, I really wasn't sure where the direction of the passage was going to be this week. Uh, so generally when you, you know, going into a message, there's, there's certain themes that you can land on. Um, and, and some of it depends on how you've, what direction you're coming. We've been kind of topical covering specific events. So I didn't have the context of the previous passage to use. Um, so there was a lot of the study that was just on where's Jesus. Um, and in Matthew 20, there's the, you know, Jesus was in Jericho and then he goes to Bethany, then he goes to Bethpage and he's like inching his way closer to Jerusalem. Um, and it's interesting because they just talk about the mileage and the importance of these places, why they were, um, you know, where they were. But it's also interesting because this is the same direction Jesus would have taken when he would go to the temple with his parents. Um, mm. uh, and, uh, you know, just kind of where he would enter through that easterly gate um, and things like that. Um, and they even make note, several of the um, commentators make note that Jesus was going to enter from the east, which is... Again, if you think in Revelations, that's the same thing, right? Like they talk about what gate he's going to... Those are these gates mattered. Right. Um, but it's interesting that he would have been taken through the northern gate to go to Golgotha. And just kind of that understanding of how tight and close everything really was in Jerusalem. Um, so some of these things matter, but really it just shows Jesus' trip was to these smaller, more poor villages that were surrounding the area. Um, in fact, it says that, you know, he ended up staying at, uh, Lazarus's house. Um, and most likely he would leave Jerusalem to go stay there. It was close. It was like two miles, which, you know, wasn't a big deal for them (laughs) to walk. Nothing was random. Everything was part of a plan. You know, it is incredible that over and over again, I'm reminded of that. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many intentional things and there, and we just don't get them. Um, even this week as I'm studying, um, you know, for the sermon for this week, I'm just reminded, like, man, it, there's stuff that goes all the way back to Genesis. And we see it in these patterns over and over and over, foreshadowing what's going to happen. Right. You know, so. Interesting. Well, let's talk more about the uh, about Passover. What's the deal with Passover? So, uh, obviously, you know, we didn't get to spend hardly any time talking about yeah, Passover. Yeah, well, I was catching you on that. Yeah. We don't want to leave that out. No, and um, I, I was... He talks about why he's going to Jerusalem, and we may cover some of that this week. It just depends. There's a lot to cover um, for Holy Week, um, but you know, 
Jesus was going to Jerusalem for the Passover, which was the traditional Jewish um, ceremony and, and um, part of the religious holiday where they would, from wherever they were, relocate to Jerusalem for a week. Right. And um, it's just a remembrance of the Exodus and the, the you know, the tenth mm. uh, plague and the painting of the doors, um, which again was another foreshadowing. You know, right. the firstborn son would be sacrificed. Um, the, the blood on the door would be the way that you would be redeemed. I mean, these things, they're so small and they feel so far apart, yet they're right there. And they're so evident if you just take a step back and look. Um, but one of the things that's important and is for us to realize like Passover was a huge deal. We don't see it that way the same way. But, you know, you look at the population of Jerusalem at that time, 300,000 maybe on the, you know, okay. mid to low end, um, would swell to 3 million people. Wow. Um, and and so it was the biggest of days. Right. Um, the, uh, so just in that understanding, like there was huge crowds coming in and out of Jerusalem during that time. There was nowhere to stay. There was nowhere for them to easily get access there was always people around you mm -hmm. and uh the temple would be slammed and all week jesus would be in that temple and uh, the irony of him clearing out the temple is pretty funny later yeah, on yeah yeah so well again it's all timing yeah uh, so couldn't have been a better time to make a statement like that right uh speaking of that speaking of all the people let's talk about uh why a donkey and a cult so um, I knew we would talk about this this week yeah. um, as we, we kind of talked about that earlier um, on Friday. So there is some really important connotations that are related to both the Old Testament. Um, we talked a little bit about this in uh, the sermon, um, but there's also references to two other places. So Deuteronomy 21, uh, 3 and 1 Samuel 6 and 7, which talks about the triumphant entry of a king being paraded into a city on a colt, on a donkey. Um, and, and it's very specific, and it's very kingly in its nature. Um, and uh, the reference that a lot of the commentaries used and the Old Testament used, you know, a king that's coming to conquer is coming on a horse or in a chariot. He's ready for war. Right. In fact, if you read Revelations 19.11, Jesus comes in on a horse. Mm -hmm. So when he comes for the final battle, He's not coming he's in on a, on a donkey. He's, on a, he's on a horse. But this time he's coming in a peaceful nature. He, he's coming in a whole different sense. Um, the reality of both of them there, there's much contention about this, especially in the atheist world where they look at this particular passage as being um, a discrepancy. Right. You know, and they, they <clears> kind of <throat> make fun of the fact that, oh, well, how is Jesus riding both animals? Um, note, though, that, again, if you don't study the language, uh, it, you can sound very foolish to someone who has been studying languages. Um, uh, so there's um, there's several atheists that are on YouTube and some of these other areas. I'm not going to give them props. They don't no. Need it. But <laughs> you can find them on your own. <laughs> but they um, they referenced this. And then, of course, they were countered by well-thinking, well-thoughtful you know, apologists. And, and what it really means when he uses, like he wrote in on a, you know them, uh, this was just a specific passage in there. One, because of the way it's phrased, the article that they most likely are referring to is the clothing that the disciples had thrown upon the cults. Right. Um, that's that was the whole point. Um, two, though, um, them being in a group together can also be referenced in in a plural. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so Jesus rode on them, the donkey. You know, he rode on them. Um, he didn't ride on them at the same time. That would be ridiculous. If I was going to ride on, I was going to ride in a group of horses. I would ride on the horses, right? Like I would, I'm going to go ride. Right. Um, yeah. Some of the atheists talk about jokingly about straddling. Right. Like, and again, such somewhere. such foolishness. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't make any sense. But what is important is the reference here is also to a very specific passage in Zechariah nine nine. Um, this was a highly messianic passage for the Jewish people. So again, there's a specific audience Jesus is, is teaching to right now. We're not the audience, mm-hmm. necessarily. We, right. we wouldn't get this unless we studied the culture. Jesus is making a point in front of not only the poor, whom he was most likely hanging out with that week, who were probably the vast majority of the people who were celebrating him, but also the religious elite. Mm-hmm. They would have noticed immediately what he was doing because this passage in Zechariah was taught by not only the the Jewish teachings but the Talmud of Babylon the rabbinical commentaries um, all of them applied this um, prophecy to the messianic coming so they would have been like oh snap like they would have recognized what he was doing Um, and again this is going to lead to um, the uh, the basically the conversation of the renewed interest in his death. Mm-hmm. So right after this, um, it'll happen to that. Um, Do you have that passage? I don't, but I can pull it up. So let me pull it up. I think it's a good reference. Yep. So Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, there we go. again, and, and this was something that was taught regularly within Jewish communities. So, uh, it's a very blatant move by Jesus to point to this. Right. Let's talk about, uh, again, in uh, back into the, mm-hmm. the scripture reading, uh, they, they use the term Hosanna. Mm. Um, can you expand on that? What's the significance of the crowd? Yeah, so, um, Hosanna which means save now or oh save. Um, we talked about this a little bit. And there was a reality that the Jewish crowds themselves were wanting salvation, but they wanted it in their terms, in their way, in their understanding. But what's interesting is, is that that little passage is actually referencing something um, that happened. So they're actually referencing what's called the Great Hallel. Uh, so the Great Hallel was a pass. It was three passages in Psalms. So it's Psalms 113. Actually, it's more than three. I think it's five. 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, and 118. Okay. Um, but that particular passage is actually from Psalm 118, 25. Um, mind you, you know, some of the Psalms is long. So the fact that they've memorized this, and, and here's the real important part. The Great Hallel was part of the Passover. Right. Like it was a, a traditional um, reading um, from the Talmud during the Passover. Um, so uh, verse 25 in Psalm 118 said, Lord, save us. There you go. <laughs> but it also goes on and says, Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed from the house of the Lord. We bless you. So it's just this, again, this add on. reference, right. Right. Uh, and these are the people, you know, you read in there, like it says, we, they wanted success. Right. They wanted, Lord, save us, Hosanna. 
you know, um, give us success, give us give us freedom from the this oppressive Roman right. rule. Thing. And they were all excited that this this king was coming to give them that. Right. But I guess they when they found out otherwise, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. No, no. But I mean, and that's right. And I mean, that's that's the reality of what we know is um, that this idea that they wanted a certain thing. And I mentioned mm-hmm. it in the sermon, but the same crowd that's rejoicing yeah. be the same crowd that cries out, crucify him. Yep. You know? Yep. They were, he let him down, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Let's talk about the temple and the temple areas. I found that interesting. You mentioned a bit about that in the sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd like to, I think it'd be nice to share a little more about what you've learned about that. Yeah, so uh, in the sermon I mentioned like how great the temple would be. Um, it was one of the most magnificent buildings of its time. And remember, this is the midst of the Greek and Roman empires. Um, so there were some pretty impressive feats going on. But the temple was this magnificent place. And uh, I mentioned how Solomon had had to build walls along the side. 600 feet? 600 feet. Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah especially when you think about there was no uh, you know, excavators. There was no bulldozers. There was nothing. Um, it was hand. Yeah. <laughs> so Pre-power um, tools. Yeah, pre-power tools, man. <laughs> um, but what was also interesting, too, was, you know, we don't we don't have an understanding. Like, I, I don't have, like, this clear vision of what the temple would look like back then. And so what's interesting is, like, each one of these areas, with there's these courts. And these courts were really important because they played a part in the worship uh, and how, you know, how we were to be presented to the presence of God. Mm-hmm. So the temple itself... Only the priests went in. Like no one but priests went in there. And then the the most contained place was the high priest only area, and it was once a year. Right. Um, and most people know like they would like tie a rope in case you died in there because uh, you had to be you know perfectly sanctified as best as you could. Right. Uh, you had to be sanctified as much as you could be in I mean, earthly these, sense. These places were vacant the rest of the year. They were empty of they were empty. human. So, yeah, the, especially the Holy of Holy was. Yeah. Um, now, outside of that was the place for the high priest. And then, so we're moving inside out. Mm-hmm. So from inside out, you know, you had the Holy of Holies separated by the curtain. Then you had the right. temple, which was for the priest. Outside of that would be the offering place. Um, well, the altar and the, and the priest would be right outside of the temple. And then there would be a wall, a short wall, and then um, there would be another court. And this court actually was kind of split in two. So mm-hmm. this court was for Jewish men, right. and then there was a place for the women to go. Okay, um, they w- they wouldn't worship together, which very similar to a lot of the you know near ancient East kind of practices today. Um, and that would be the inner court for the Jews where they could worship. And um, this was fairly this was a fairly quiet, holy place. This is where they would have their twenty to thirty minutes of meditation three times a day. They would pray. Um, the 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 priestly music and worship would be being held um, uh, either in that place or it could be heard easily from there. And then beyond that, there was another court. And this court was just for Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was meant to be the same thing. And through all these courts, you would have line of sight of the altar. Okay. So um, you would be able to see in certain positions, you could see the altar uh, where, where your offerings were being handled. Um, and in the Gentile court, though, was where the merchants had begun to set up. Okay. Um, and we, we spent a little bit of time talking about this in the uh, sermon, but the reality was it wasn't just the merchants selling the things that were needed. It, was, it had become a circus. Right. Um, it was loud. 
It was not conducive for worship. Um, it was, in fact, some people were actually. It, it talks about how some of the travelers were beginning to use that court as a shortcut around the temple. So they would come through like they were traveling. Um, and we see note of that in Matthew where he talks about like people would just come by with things in their hands. Like okay. they, they have no regard. Yeah, for, there was just no regard for this holy place. Right. Um, Even though it was hierarchically the farthest away from the Holy of Holies, yeah, it was still part of the Holy still, Temple. It was still a place of worship, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, and again, part of that goes into the Jewish mindset, you know, at the time. Um, Gentiles were kind of looked down on. Um, and, uh, you know, the, there was, they had built a hierarchy, if you will, of, <laughs> of people. And um, so part of that is Jesus speaking, and I think him clearing out the temple, part of that is him just, again, reaffirming, like, um, he's here for all the nations. He's here, you know, for that. But also part of it is just addressing some of the, you know, uh, lack of reverence right. that was going on. Um, I mean, it's obvious that, you know, people shouldn't be swindled. At the same time, even good things in a bad in the wrong place are still not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, sadly, that's symbolic of so much that's going on today. Right. Even in our our churches, you mentioned uh, about uh, Jesus uh, disrupting things a little bit. Let's let's talk about that significance, the significance of that temple clearing. Right. So, um, you know, we talked about how Jesus going in was uh you know it, it it seems so unusual like counter his culture you know counter who jesus was like we don't see jesus angry often right um i mean at that point i think the worst, roughest words he had was toward the pharisees when he called them a brood of vipers mm -hmm. uh whitewashed tombs and then he told peter that he was satan <laughs> you yeah. know like that's kind of the but he would never seem like but he that. never did it it seemingly seemingly with an angry tone right yeah. Uh, this is the first time we see like violent he, action. He got heated, yeah. Yeah. Makes for a great t shirt though. It does. I, I love that t shirt. Thank you. <laughs> by, by the way, you listeners can get your own version of the temple uh of the Jesus flipping shirt. It's awesome. Oh, table flipping Jesus. Table flipping Jesus. Um we're gonna make that popular as a I think so. I I will do my best. <laughs> but uh so here's one of the things though, that's interesting is is even though we don't see it this way, it was very common for the prophets to come into um, you know, various temples and worship areas and be disruptive. Uh, so this isn't like completely out of the blue. Like uh, there's actually an example in Jeremiah, which I need to look up, but um, you know, Jesus was again, he was also, it wasn't so unusual. We get thrown back by it, but like the people at the time wouldn't have. Uh, so these, one of the examples is in Jeremiah 11 or Jeremiah 7. And it says, has this house, and this is again a reference to um, Jeremiah, and I mentioned this pretty, mm -hmm. we went over it pretty well in the sermon, but just for the listeners, um, Jeremiah was rebuking the Jewish people because they had given this reverence to the temple, right? And they had basically made tradition their God. Right. So they were doing the sacrifices, they were doing their three prayers a day, they were being faithful to those minimal tasks, but they were also worshiping Baal, they were also... You know, um, uh, they were doing evil, t you know, detestable acts. They were living quite unlike God's chosen people. Uh, and so we talked about how the end of Jesus calling them a den of thieves. Um, Jeremiah seven eleven reads, Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. Um, and so, 
that Jesus is telling them the same thing. He's right. like, look, you, you've disrupted this house. You have brought in, mm-hmm. you, have, you have failed to worship properly in my view. Um, and so Jesus coming in and flipping over the tables is very prophetic. It's very yep. something a prophet would have done that would have come and disrupted what was you know, considered a normal you know, worship setting um, because they were trying to get people's attention. They were trying to get God's uh, people's attention again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the references, one of my commentaries actually mentions Jonah. Although I was like, that's a weird reference. But when he goes into Nineveh, like he goes into the marketplace and he just starts screaming condemnations at them. And what happens? Their, their hearts change. Right. right? Uh, and they, they begin to fear God once more. Um, so this, this one, what seems like a violent act is actually, uh, it's an act of trying to draw recognition to their need to fear God once again. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's, it's needed in today's church as well. I agree. Um, and I pointed out, you know, it's, we can point really easily to the churches that are, it's blatant. Um, I think we need to be mindful that all of our churches from time to time need a table flipped. Um, yep. We get hung up in what ministries we think are right or how many, you know, how many people are showing up or, you know. Or the routine. Or the you, routine. You made reference to the, the, the folks in the temple. Right. Getting into routine. That, that became their religion. Mm-hmm. Their... Yeah, and so we just, we have to be really cautious. We have to guard ourselves. Yep. Um, and I think this is one of the things we did mention last week. And I thought it was a great point in our conversation on Friday. Um, you know, one of the things is this most likely wasn't the only trip. According to John, this wasn't the only trip that Jesus made to, to the temple. Right. And it wasn't the only table he had ever flipped. Right. Um, <laughs> and and it's important to realize, like, <clears throat> Jesus did most likely clear out the temple beforehand. And then they came back. Mm-hmm. And so he had to do it again. And then after he dies, guess what? They Come came back. back. <laughs> um, but Jesus also makes note of this in his own teachings we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, where, uh, you know, he says if you, you know, if you free a man from one demon and um, then you know you make room essentially for seven more to come right you clean the house you clean mm-hmm. out everything but then you don't fill it yeah with the right things more demons come back that's right and I think that's a really good reference I think for us as followers of Christ who are trying to live out what it's like as a believer day to day if we aren't filling ourselves with the right things it's going to be really easy for us to let things back into God's holy temple. That's right. We will be filled with something. Yeah. So if we don't proactively fill ourselves with the word, mm. uh, yeah. the, the world will fill us with right. their stuff. And so, and especially with how consumeristic oh, yeah. our culture has become, um, this is just almost a guarantee, 100%. So, you know, that those, those illusions are very, you know, good for us just to be reminded um, you know, how we hold things, how we look at things, and how we care for our own spiritual well-being. Amen. So um, I think that kind of wraps us up for this week. Um, excited about next week because we're going into Easter and the Holy Week, and um, hopefully, like I said, we'll continue to be able to <laughs> stay on top of uh, putting out useful and helpful information for those who are uh, continuing to listen. And if you guys... Um, find this useful or anything like i said share us with a friend put us share us on facebook uh we'd really appreciate it helping us get out the word and um allowing uh, god to work and if you have any questions or uh comments please share them with us as well we'd love to respond absolutely well mark this has been a great time man i appreciate you brother likewise back at you and we'll see you guys next week 
Thank you for joining us today on the River's Edge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, check us out on our webpage at www.theriversedge.church.